Welcome back to Beyond Well. I'm Sheila Hamilton, and today we're introducing our new co-host, Dr. James Polo. He is joining our organization because of his deep experience as both a general physician, a child psychiatrist, and a general psychiatrist. Dr. Polo, it's so good to talk with you. Thank you, Sheila. I appreciate being here. He is one of the people that I have been really, really interested in his perspective um, from a bunch of different uh, levels. One of them is your recent article, uh, Dr. Polo, that you wrote about quarantine and the effect that quarantine is having on so many people. So could you just start and tell us how quarantine is affecting you? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. All of us um, as humans are creatures that really love to be interacting with others. I myself tend to be very socially active, both with my friends, my family, my neighbors. And, you know, quarantine has changed that. Um, We have to be distant from other people as a way of making sure that we don't get infected. And yet um, that's what we always want to do. We want to be near people. So I think for many folks, it's really changing their day-to-day feeling of being disconnected. Um, You know, luckily we have technology that will help that. But I think people are realizing that, you know, in the middle of this pandemic, loneliness is is really affecting a lot of people. Mm. I have um, been also so struck by the number of people who tell me they feel like they're getting nothing done, that there is just this weird expanse of time, and yet their energy and their focus is really limited. Uh, Why do you think that is? You know, I think there's a multitude of factors. You know, we're living in, in a period of time where there's a lot of uncertainty. And when we have uncertainty about what's going on around us, we, we tend to start thinking about you know, what could happen? What is the worst that could happen? It, mm. it detracts our focus. That's the first thing that happens. And, um, you know, when you start thinking about all the different things that could happen with this pandemic, um, it just creates a lot of anxiety. Um, and we sometimes don't realize just how much effort and energy we put into our thoughts and our feelings. And it takes away from the, the, the sense that you're getting something done. And, and you're so right. I mean, in my case, I've been working from home. Um, I don't have to drive to work anymore. I don't have to go to meetings in person. I've been doing a lot of uh, a lot of work at home, but there are some days where I just feel exhausted and I don't feel like I've gotten a lot done. Mm. And then even on my own time, I feel like I have all this time, and yet, what am I going to do with it? And how am I going to fill it up? And it's it's challenging. It's a it's definitely a change for everybody. Dr. Polo, I think um, your willingness to share that even as a person who has the skills, all of the learning that you have, all of the training that you've had, yet you still struggle is probably one of the reasons I was most attracted to having you join this program. I want to go back to our um, to your background. You bring 20 years of experience previously serving as chief medical officer and senior psychiatric physician for Western State Hospital in Washington. So you have dealt with the chronically mentally ill. You have dealt with adolescents and you have also dealt with people in the military. So which of those areas of study do you want to start with first? And I would love to talk with you about the one perhaps that maybe you enjoyed the most. Wow. That's such a great question. So yeah, you know, I'll just highlight that, you know, um, I've essentially been a physician my entire adult life. And I went into to psychiatry because I learned early when I was doing uh, um, medical practice, when I was seeing patients for just routine stuff, that I really enjoyed talking with them. And a lot of folks, regardless of the fact that they came in complaining about some 
physical problem. Ultimately, there was a story there, mm. something about their life, something about what was going on, their emotions, their feelings. And, and that attracted me. And it attracted me in the sense of wanting to serve and help others. Now, the reason why I share that with you is that your question's really hard. I mean, I have worked in the military. That's a unique experience. Uh, I've seen adults in many different settings, which is very different from seeing kids and treating children, which is, which is uh, an experience that's, that's quite enriching. Um, I, I've, I've obviously worked at Western State, as you mentioned, which is a large hospital where uh, people with very, very severe illnesses are generally um, are hospitalized. And all of these areas um, are different. Um, the theme, I think, that runs through all of it, you know, behavioral health in our country, mental health in our country has been something that's been laden with stigma for a long time, and yet it touches all of us. It absolutely touches all of us. Um, and the idea that we could actually help people, you know, struggling with emotional things that we all do, to me, is, is just validating of, of doing something that's meaningful. And so it's hard to say which of these experiences is the best. They're, they're all challenging. Uh, they're all rewarding. Um, you know, being in, in mental health is not easy. There are days when it's, uh, it's painful. Um, but it also reminds us that in the end, we're all human. We all have similar experiences. You know, I've had my own experiences on both sides of the fence, you know, helping other folks and getting help from other folks. Mm. I want to talk more about that because I think the people who bring – the most depth of compassion and empathy and understanding to people who are struggling or people who have actually struggled before. So take me back through your own awareness, like, oh, actually this can happen to me. We're all human. We all have brains. We all sometimes get sick and need additional help. Yeah. You know, I, I actually have two personal experiences in life that have been very, very difficult. It's hard for me to decide which I would share first, but um, one was with my wife and uh, one is with my daughter. Let, let me first of all mention that my wife is also a physician. She and I have been married for 38 years. We were married very young, so we, we almost kind of grew up as young 20-year-olds uh, learning about life together, and we were in medical school together. Um, probably the lived experience that was most difficult was with my daughter. I have three kids, um, a son, a daughter, and uh, a younger son. When my daughter was about, I don't want to say 15, 16, middle of uh, high school, she went through a period of time when uh, she was having a lot of difficulties. And to be honest, I didn't even really kind of appreciate that she was having difficulties. My kids were well-behaved. They were well-liked at school. Um, they were very blessed. You know, we, we didn't have any problems with finances. We, we lived in a nice neighborhood. I had friends at school. Um, my daughter tended to be the kind of kid as a young, young kid who was very compliant. You know, she followed the rules. She did whatever she was told to do. Um, we didn't really have any problems. And I think that's part of the reason why I didn't realize something was going on. But what ended up happening in the middle of high school is my, my daughter had lots of issues with self-esteem. My daughter had some, some challenges with uh, feeling like she didn't quite fit in. Um, and actually, she ended up kind of getting in with the wrong group. You know, the parent always feel, fears their, hey, my kid's going to hang out with the wrong kids. Mm. And I never thought that was going to be my daughter who ended up actually hanging out with kids that were using drugs. 
long story short, she eventually started using drugs herself. Um, and this was back in the early 2000s when methamphetamine was hitting the, the, the media waves. Mm-hmm. And as it turned out, um, this all came crashing down when one day um, my daughter ran away. And um, they, they found her, quote, quote, they, uh, the police. Um, we were living in Colorado at the time, found her in, in Kansas. And she had actually taken our car, um, which she was allowed to drive, um, and driven to Kansas with a friend with, you know, no real plan in mind. And the two girls were, were obviously, you know, out of control and using drugs. And, and, uh, and methamphetamine was the uh, premier drug. My life came crashing down uh, in so many ways. Um, first of all, I, I dealt with a lot of shame and a lot of uh, stigma. You know, here I am a psychiatrist. Um, I'm a child psychiatrist, no less, helping other, other families with their kids. And I can't even, you know, manage my own is the way I felt. Mm. Um, I took on, as most parents do, I felt like, well, uh, the only way I can control this is I have to own it. I want my kid to be good. I want my kid not to be using drugs. So it's my fault. And if it's my fault, I did something wrong. And so I really, I really felt that I was defective as a father, uh, so much so that I actually closed my practice. I stopped seeing um, adolescents because I felt like if I can't even be a good parent to my own daughter, how could I possibly uh, help other folks? I was very lucky at the time. I had a lot of support. I, I could do other things. But it's only in retrospect I realized I was so impacted that I just you know, my, my whole, my whole world was coming apart. Um, you know, my wife and I were very strong together. You know, we did all the right things that parents do, you know, okay, we've identified the problem. We need to get her help. We need, uh, we need to consider, you know, treatment and does she need to go to rehab, et cetera, so on and so forth. But literally for a year and a half, we lived through utter hell. And, you know, I learned a couple of things, you know, one of the things is no matter how many times you try to control somebody else, particularly an adolescent, you can't. Uh, Critical parenting lesson I I reminded myself is you raise your kids to leave you. You don't raise your kids to control them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my daughter was 16 and she's going to be 18. She's going to be leaving her house. And of course I, I had all the worst fears in my head. You know, she's going to get in the wrong crowd. She's just going to end up dead, whatever, so on and so forth. Um, that was a very, very challenging time. And largely, um, my wife and I, but mainly me negotiated that in solitude. Um, I did share with a few people that, that were close what was going on and certainly with my family my brother, my parents. Um, but I was very much ashamed uh, of the fact that my daughter was having these these challenges, mainly because I, you know, felt so strongly that, you know, drugs are bad and people that use drugs are bad and, and so forth. I failed to recognize that, you know, my daughter had an illness at the time, just like any other illness for which she needed help. Now I was trying to give her that help and I was trying to provide that help. But any parent that's gone through a, a challenge with, with their own child realizes that it, it you don't think clearly sometimes. Now, I think I hit my absolute low um, one night. Um, This was back when cell phones were still early and and I had a cell phone ring that was specific for my daughter's phone. 
and you know she was not living in the house and you can't make me I'm gonna live with my friends I could do what I want uh, so on and so forth and there were there were times where I almost thought to myself ah uh, you know if she just died mm. all the pain would be over I mean I really really reached a point of feeling like mm. I know she's gonna die this is not gonna turn out well um, and it is so painful I just want it to be all over and then one night in the middle of the night, that phone rang with, with that tone that I knew was hers. And I realized I was living on fear and living on edge every single day. And for whatever reason, that particular night was the night that she actually called to say, you know, I think I might need some help. Wow. And that was the first step of so many steps. I went through a year and a half of fearing what was going to happen. I went through a year and a half of feeling like a horrible parent. I went through a year and a half of trying to work while I was struggling with this in the background. Mm. Um, I was lucky. You know, I could pay for treatment and services. Mm. But it taught me a lot about what it is to struggle with an emotional challenge, what it is to struggle with an emotional difficulty within a family environment. It also told me a lot about drugs. You know, I grew up in a time frame when, you know, just the thought of talking about pot was evil. Of course, I've never used drugs and, of course, was shocked that I would have a child that would use drugs. And so I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about my family. I learned a lot about my patients. I learned a lot about what it was really meant to help other people that were struggling. Uh, I will highlight today, you know, 15 years later, uh, my daughter is an attorney. She lives three miles away from me. She's happily married. Uh, we have a wonderful relationship. She has a three-year-old son who is healthy, who I see practically every other day because he's within my circle of COVID trust. And I can tell you when I was in the middle of going through the pain of her addiction, of her, of her, you know, of her challenge, I never envisioned that this would be where I was going to be. I had a total different vision of how life would be. And I've learned from my daughter a lot. You know, one of the things she, she's emphasized to me over and over, and she said, you know, Dad, it was never about you. In fact, I knew you always loved me, and I knew what right and wrong was. It wasn't about you. It was really all about me. Mm. And so it really helped me understand that we have our own perceptions of what it means to struggle emotionally, what it means to struggle with life, uh, the way it comes. And of course, different people struggle with different issues and different people respond in different ways. This was her response as a young teenager. And I only realize now what a young kid she was and how little she really knew. But oh, what an impact. I'm very different today when I'm treating folks whether it's a family member or even an adolescent that's struggling, that personal experience of knowing what that feels like, what it really means, I think it's made me better. I'm more open to think, you know, about challenges and what they mean. I'm less judgmental. I'm also more hopeful. You know, I know that sometimes people struggle with something that's emotional and it, and it does, you know, unfortunately lead to something that doesn't turn out well. And, and that happens in life with even medical problems. You know, somebody gets cancer, they, they don't turn out well. Somebody does, they get cured. Uh, same thing happens in, in behavioral health. And I, I feel blessed and I feel lucky that things turned out well. And, you know, and I stood by my daughter even when it was hard. But it's made me, I think, a better person today in terms of how I relate with other people. 
uh, and primarily in my practice, um, recognizing that folks struggle all the time. I just want to just kind of let that sink in because you covered so much that I think is going to be so ripe for topics that we pick up in the future. And one of those is the impact on families when one person is struggling with a substance abuse problem, with a psychological problem, with a severe mental illness. The impact on the entire family is often in focus. And I, I've often wondered, Jim, why, why more people, why more physicians don't treat it as a family that is sick instead of just the individual. Because you know, just based on what you described, I would say that you were suffering almost as equally in, in very different ways than your daughter, but you were also probably completely impacted by what was going on. Yeah, I, I think that's such a great question. I'll, you know, I'll share with you that I was impacted. I mean, I was impacted enough that it affected my work. I ended up having to see a psychiatrist myself. I was depressed. I needed to focus on motivation and how I could keep things going. I mean, I was very impacted. To your question about the family structures, you know, when you train as a child psychiatrist, you're, you're always thinking about a child in the context of living within a family. And, uh, you know, kids, uh, kids come from all different kinds of families. You know, some families are very supportive, some are not so. Some are very open, some are not so. Some are very, you know, emotional, some are not so. You know, kids grow up in the context of what to them becomes their normal family. And when things change, when there are difficulties in any family, it actually impacts everybody. Mm -hmm. um, and it really doesn't matter uh, which family we're talking about. It doesn't even matter which culture you come from. I mean, that's the nature of, of the way we are as humans. You know, we tend to really think about our families. We grow up in families. We live with families. Those are the people that we trust and love the most at the same time that those are the people that we will, you know, say anything to because we know in the end they'll still love us. So you're, you're sometimes meaner to your family members than you are to your friends or you're, you'll yell at a mom when you will never yell at a teacher. So, so you know, family is the, the best and the worst of our emotions, you know, because you feel safe. You feel safe loving. You feel safe hating. And what I've learned as a child psychiatrist is that it's impossible to help a kid without thinking about the context of the greater family. And what I've now learned is that actually it doesn't really matter what person I'm trying to help. Family is always a key aspect. And I've actually even had to change over time. How am I even defining family? Yeah. You know, does family mean the, the person they live with or does family mean their biological relatives? You know, does family mean, you know, the same generation of folks or does it mean two or three generations of, of people? So I've even had to think differently about what, what is a family? What drives a family in terms of, of connection? Because remember where I, what I mentioned earlier is that, you know, as humans, we're, we're driven to be connected to other people. We're driven to be in, in relationship. And relationships of family, and depending on how you view family, are, are the ones that are most important. So I always take into account that family aspect of anybody that comes to see me for any problem or challenge. Mm. And just a, a final question. I have often struggled with this uh, in my own experience of dealing with somebody who was mentally ill. How much of this was the illness and how much of it was him just being a stubborn son of a bitch? Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you probably had that question around your daughter's behavior. Yes. What, what, how did you answer that for yourself as a person who loves someone who was doing things that were so hurtful, that, who was acting in a way that was so willful and so um, dangerous to everyone? Yeah. 
You know, it's such a great question. Sometimes it's hard when you, when you think about that question uh, and compare a child to an adult. And I'll share with you why I say it that way. You know, with my kids, um, and particularly with my daughter, she was largely a compliant daughter. It didn't make sense to me on one hand that she was doing things that I knew I had taught her would be hurtful to her. That just didn't make any sense. Yeah. And then secondly, um, my daughter was raised in a home of, of respect. And so even if it didn't necessarily make sense to her, I'm her father and yet she's breaking all the rules that I'm making. So, you know, in some ways it, it really hit me on two fronts. You know, she's dumb, which she wasn't. And she's disrespectful and she hates me because she doesn't, you know, abide by me. And, and that was also not true. That reality in the back of my mind, though, is how I started treating her and it impacted how we talked, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll tell you why I said that's different from adults. And, and, and maybe we'll talk about this uh, on a subsequent time. I, I went through a very, very dark period earlier uh, with my wife. Uh, many, many years prior to, to my daughter's challenge when she went through a period of, of pretty significant depression. And there were days where I just couldn't figure out why my wife wouldn't just snap out of it. You mm. know, the fact that she was depressed didn't make sense to me. She didn't have anything to be depressed about. Mm-hmm. Uh, life was great, but that was my very naive, myopic perspective. I was not able to see life from her eyes. And in fact, that's the first experience it really taught me uh, about humanity in a different way than I had been trained as a psychiatrist. Um, But I think uh, the key point here is that we tend to be very uh, close-minded when we're looking at other people's problems because we kind of take our own approach, our own thoughts, and we apply, you know, a sense of what should or shouldn't occur, what could or couldn't be wrong. And we assume then that, whatever the other person is struggling with doesn't make sense. Well, it does to them. Mm. And so the key is trying to figure out how do you get into there? How do you get into their mind? And Mm. I don't mean that in a negative way, but how do you see things from their perspective so that you can actually bring them into the light? Mm. It's a challenge, but it takes a lot of humility. It is such a beautiful place um, to end so that we can begin our conversations with that kind of openness and that sort of curiosity. It's the reason that I've asked you to join, Dr. Polo. I think you're just going to be such an incredible guest host. And I really believe that our audience is going to learn things that we could never have learned before without your presence. So thank you so much for joining us. Sheila, um, thank you. Absolutely. We are, of course, sponsored by Cedar Hills Hospital and the Foundation for Excellence in Mental Health Care. And we would love your support. If you see a place that you can give a thumbs up or a review for the podcast, do it on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen. Make it a great day. Bye.